The Forum at 8 with Kolani Gwala. Eight and a half minutes after nine. I beg your pardon. After eight. Good morning to you. Welcome to the forum at eight. Your SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. A big headline in the Sunday Times about a week and a half ago. We were killing kids. You remember that headline? It came through. Uh, apparently, it's what the South African soldiers were saying after that uh, uh, fight in Bangui last week. And it also happened that the Defence Minister Nosevirma Pisangagula was asked about the involvement of child soldiers in that fight in the uh, Central African Republic last week. She was answering questions uh, during a joint standing committee on defense meeting. She was quoted there as saying, if our soldiers were attacked by children, they were correct to defend themselves. Uh, If a child shoots at you, are you going to wave your hands, give them a sweetie or blow kisses? She was referring to that uh, report that I mentioned in the Sunday Times two weeks ago, that surviving soldiers who were deployed to the Central African Republic after a coup had to defend themselves against child soldiers. According to the Sunday Times, a paratrooper uh, said to them, it was only after the firing had stopped that we saw that we had killed kids. Uh, We did not come here for this, to kill kids. It makes you sick. They were crying, calling for help, calling for their moms. That was the quote in the Sunday Times about two weeks ago. Let's discuss then the issue of child soldiers across our continent. Let me welcome our guests on the program, starting with Michael Copland, who is a UNICEF regional expert on Children and Armed Conflict, uh, joining us on the line from Nairobi. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. A nice one. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Also joining us from Brussels this morning is Tirana Hassan. Uh, Tirana Hassan is an emergency researcher at the Human Rights Watch. Tirana, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Well, let me start in, in, in Nairobi. Michael, I just quoted uh, the, the report here in the Sunday Times about two weeks ago. A uh, soldier saying, we did not come here for this, to kill kids. It makes you sick. They were crying, calling for help, calling for their moms. That is the situation on the ground. Does this surprise you that uh, the South African soldiers would have been engaged with children in the Central African Republic? Look, on, on many levels, it's not surprising. We know there are there are groups in the Central African Republic who have uh, historically been using children, recruiting children. So, and this sadly is the the, the same situation in a number of uh, neighbouring countries and across the continent. So, no, sadly, it's not uh, not surprising. In fact, uh, I, saw, I saw that the uh, UNICEF recently revealed that there were reports, credible reports, that rebel groups and pro-militia, uh, pro-government militia were, were increasingly recruiting and involving children in the Central African Republic. Yeah, the, the concern would be over the last few years we had seen a reduction in recruitment in, in the Central African Republic. Now the concern would be with the growing insecurity that that would turn around. So we had a number of groups who were indeed releasing children, had signed action plans uh, to, to release children. Um, so the concern now would be with this insecurity that, that would, uh, the, the, the reverse would start to happen. What are the other hotspots other than the Central African Republic? Um, look, if we if we think about uh, that area, clearly the Democratic Republic of Congo, there are a number of number of groups there, and uh, if we look, for example, just in in the last year, probably in the range of about 600 children were, were recruited in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, historically, there are other countries, but it, you know things that, things have improved in some areas as well. Southern, you know, South Sudan. Historically, there were a lot of children being used uh, in armed in armed groups there, and uh, that has improved uh, significantly. Um, so th- th- there's a range, but close to that area, Democratic Republic of Congo. 
Right. Uh, let's let's talk to Tirana then. Find out what what uh, your your experience of this issue is, Tirana. Are you surprised? I mean, I quoted this. Um, it really it was it was a, a, a touching story about how these soldiers then were reacting to to what had happened to them. Uh, for you, is it a surprise? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think, um, you know, I think on the battlefield, um, even combatants uh, are human beings at the end of the day, aren't they? And, you know, so we've heard these sort of stories before. I mean, just recently I was in Mali where we heard, um, we heard accounts from local villagers who had told us that during the large battle that took place in the town of Connor, that they also saw children who had been killed during the fight between the Malian armed forces and the Islamist groups who were um, who were active in that area, and it was a very similar story, and it's incredibly heartbreaking. And what needs to happen here is that the states and the parties to the armed conflict need to be doing everything in their control to ensure that children aren't recruited in the first place. This should never be happening. And where there are instances of children in places like, you know, these irregular conflicts like Mali, where you have insurgent groups in Somalia, we also documented that large numbers of children who had been recruited by Al-Shabaab, the Islamist group there, who were also sent to the front lines of the battlefield. Um, and there were horrific stories where children were literally being taken to the front line in the back of trucks uh, without much military training, without any in some cases, and literally just being used as you know, what we termed as cannon fodder or gun fodder. Um, these are absolutely horrendous crimes, um, and they're crimes under international law, and they're crimes under human rights law. And those people, when, when instances like this take place, they need to be fully investigated. Um, and, you know, the recruitment of children and the use of children in armed conflict um, is, is illegal. And the people that are responsible for bringing children into this position need to be held to account. And, and you have worked with uh, child soldiers in different countries, including Sierra Leone, Liberia, Ivory Coast, northern Uganda and Somalia, Tirana. Why are they attractive to, to, to these rebels and also to the government militias? Well, you know, I think it's not about why ch- just why children are attracted to it. I mean, a lot of these cases, particularly in, in a case like Somalia, um, you know, children are forcibly recruited. And this was the same historically in Sierra Leone, Liberia, Ivory Coast also. Um, there were horrific cases of forced recruitment. Um, you know, and just, just by way of example, I think, the cases that we documented at uh, Human Rights Watch in 2011, 2000, in, yeah, throughout to 2011, um, when the conflict was quite intense between Al Shabaab and uh, the African Union and Somali forces in Somalia, we were documenting consistent reports of the insurgents going into schools, for example, and taking children from their classrooms at gunpoint. That there was very little they could do. Children were literally leaping out of windows to try and escape. You know, we spoke to dozens of parents who just told us that one day their child was out playing football and then he just never came home. And then there were other eyewitness reports corroborating that children were literally just being rounded up as they were going through you know, their day-to-day activities. Trying to be normal in a war zone is hard, but it's horrific when a child is then picked up when playing in a playground or playing football with their friends or just trying to go to school and they're being taken at gunpoint and forced to join the armed forces. 
Mm. And we've documented from there, it's not about children wanting to escape. It's, you know, quite often they're paralyzed by fear. They're not able to escape. Um, and different groups use different types of, of methods mm. to keep children um, in these groups. So in some cases, they threaten their families. Sure. Um, and so if you don't fight with us, then we will kill your parents. That was a very common tactic that's been documented uh, in northern Uganda, for example. Um, and then in other cases, they've been heavily indoctrinating children as well. Um, a lot of these um, insurgent groups uh, have been, you know, videos and essentially sort of methods of, I guess you'd call it brainwashing, um, to try and keep children and force children into fighting um, these battles. Mm. Um, and in the cases where you have had children who have joined, I mean, there are a number of different reasons. Uh, in Chad a few years ago, Human Rights Watch documented children being um, sent to fight um, with particular rebel groups because families had nothing for them. They thought that this way the children sometimes would have access to some sort of services or at least food. Mm. Um, and in some cases, you know, children are left on their own. And this is a really important point, actually, because during conflict, you end up with, you know, a very fractured society. People are incredibly vulnerable, and children are amongst the most vulnerable. But it's particularly those children, for example, who are without their parents. Um, It's street children. Um, It's children in these really far-flung communities with no resources, with no infrastructure, with no services. These children, when when uh, armed groups come to them to recruit, you know, they offer them something. Yeah. And for children with nothing, sometimes, you know, there are, there are a few options. Michael, your experience there, because UNICEF has said in the past that also what happens is these children are easy to, to brainwash and therefore they become loyal killing mm. machines. Right. So, so what we see is, as, as Tran is saying, a targeting of children um, by different groups using different tactics. So taking children when they're very young, in some cases, forcing them to commit atrocities against their own families so that they're not able to then come back even to their families. So that even, you know, trying, trying to escape becomes, um, uh, an impossibility. We also see, um, a targeting of very poor families in some countries. So, uh, single-headed um, uh, families, very poor families, are, are, are targeted. And you know, in the, in the worst cases, we see that um, children, you know, as, as young as eight and nine and so on, are taken for that very reason that you described. That that they're able to be manipulated, and if, if you like, they lose, you know, they lose their childhood and they lose. Um, a, 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 a sense of a sense of reality about what what they're engaged in and what they're doing. So um, it, it continues. Um, sadly, uh, we would see um, the hard work, uh, which needs to happen, really in two parts. One is working with both states and governments um, to ensure that recruitment ends and that children are released. But then also to help these children to come home. Um, so to try and find where they're from with other agencies and then to reintegrate them back in their, into their community, which is a long process. And, and in that, um, we've now learned from, from a lot of experience the importance of working with uh, children's extended families but also working with other vulnerable children in, in, in the community mm. um, so that those 
particular children are not stigmatized, uh, extra attention is not brought to them, um, but they're part of a, a, a bigger program. As Joanne is saying, these children are, are frequently recruited from the poorest, uh, most vulnerable communities. So those communities uh, need support, and if we want to make sure that they are not re-recruited um, uh, in, into armed groups. We need to make sure we've got economic programs um, in the instances where, where poverty plays a, a part in that recruitment, um, strong education programs um, where it's about, you know, attitudes and having options for the future. So mm-hmm. it's a whole, a whole process, and, and, and within that as well, as, as I think you mentioned earlier, um, we need to be monitoring these groups to, 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 to collect the evidence to ensure that we're able to hold them to account. Yeah. Some, of, some of these groups would see themselves as aspiring um, political parties and governments. Um, we've seen uh, the importance of, of, of putting this information out so that groups like that, um, if, if they're wanting to be serious in terms of government bodies, you know, they would be um, shamed, if you like, globally. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's one uh, strategy which is true and effective. All right. What we'll also do here, by the way, is open the lines here um, so that we can take calls, find out what people think about this. Um, 0891 And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will remember last year late we spoke to uh, Ishmael Bear, who is um, the author of a book called uh, Long Way Gone, Memoirs of a Child Soldier. Uh, he, he was obviously also talking about his own personal experiences of having been a child soldier in Sierra Leone and what happened. And in fact, the interesting thing is that uh, there were people who were involved in, in the civil war in Sierra Leone who are now here in South Africa who called that particular day to share their experiences. Would like to share experiences a little bit more. Uh, 0891104208, what do people think about this? Uh, again, I'm going to make reference to that um, paratrooper who spoke to the Sunday Times just two weeks ago. And he was quoted as saying, it was only after the firing had stopped that we saw that we had killed kids. We did not come here for this, to kill kids. It makes you sick. They were crying, calling for help, calling for their moms. 891 What do you think should be done? But the biggest problem, I suppose, uh, that's going to come through here, Tirana, is that people would say this is a, an old story across the African continent, yet we do not know of anyone who has been held to account as a result of this. Um, well, actually, um you know, it is, it's an old story. It's not just exclusively an African problem. Sure. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of examples um, from conflicts that have taken place on the continent. But this is actually a problem that takes place across the world. Sure. Um, and, you know, there has been an evolution. Unfortunately, it's too slow. Um, but... You know, just recently last year, uh, we saw Thomas Lubanga, who was a, a Congolese um, rebel leader, uh, sentenced to 14 years in prison in the International Criminal Court for the recruitment and use of children under the age of 15. And this is a really important development. Um, this sends a message. Uh, to to rebel groups, to all parties in an armed conflict, as a matter of fact, to say that you know, you're now on notice. The international community will no longer accept the use of children. This is a heinous crime. And now you have Thomas Lubanga, who was one of the most feared uh, rebel leaders in the Congolese um, uh, armed conflict, in the armed conflict in Congo, who is now sitting in a prison in The Hague. Um, and that sends a very clear message. And there needs to be more and more of this. There, there are instances where there has been reports 
with children being used in conflict, there needs to be a mobilisation, first of all by the, by the state, by the government where this conflict is taking place, um, to ensure that every step is being taken to investigate, fully investigate, any uh, reports of the use of children in an armed conflict, but then there needs to be prosecution. We need to know who is recruiting children, you know, and the people um, who are, uh, are giving those commands are the ones who are going to be held to responsible, hmm. uh, going to be held to account, sorry. They're the ones who are responsible. Okay. Right, let's and so more course. and more, we need to see that. Sure. Let's take some calls here. Start with uh, Joe in Cape Town. Hello, Joe. Hi, um, good morning, Kulani. Hi, yeah, Kulani, um, look, I'm all against, you know, recruiting children, you know, and people who recruit children, force children to fight should be punished. Yeah. But what if you have a situation where children are being killed in a conflict? I mean, let me give you an example in Mali. There was an airstrike by the French military that killed 10 children in a madrasa. Now, I mean, what must children then do? You know, I mean, even in the Bible, you know, you had children who, who picked up, you know, arms against, you know, uh, other forces or other tribes. So, 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 so I'm asking the question is, why these children are, are killed or, or let's say their mothers are being raped, you know, or, or, or you have a situation where they are only children that are there to defend, you know, not all children are forced. Now, look, those are forced should be, the people should be punished with recruiting. Mm. But, you know, what about then, you know, when there's no other option but to fight when people yeah. come in, into your place, you know, and, and, and kill you? So, so I think that's a fair point, because this morning I think there's a report suggesting that in Afghanistan, 11 children were killed, I think, in, in a bombing raid or something like that. Joe in Cape Town will get a response for you in a minute. John is in Durban. Hello, John. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm here in Devon. I want just to comment. When did you talk about the root of the problem? I think, to me, the root of the problem is because there are armed conflict. If there's no armed conflict, no child soldier will be recruited. But we have countries where there's no fairness in the political court. Let's talk about the DRC. I'm from the DRC myself. You know that election has been rigged. So there's a potential of conflict anyway. And we found South Africa supporting DRC while even John Carter with its, its own organization said election has been rigged. So there's a potential of rebellion and rebellion will lead to the child soldiers. People right. winning election by all means. So people are also doing rebellion. They want to get power by all means. All means. So to me the point is let's stop armed conflict. And armed conflict is the result of unfair political process, people rigging election, and the government in the region are supporting sure. the opposition. John, I, I hear your point. John. I hear your point, John, but uh, you know what I would like you to do is, is to share with us the, your experiences about what happened to the former child soldiers in the Congo. Uh, effectively, it means their future is all gone, right? Yeah. What, what I'm saying is, yeah, just share with yeah. us the experience. What happens to these uh, child soldiers once they're back from combat? Okay, most of these child soldiers, I myself, even even from the eastern part of the DRC, where are they recruited? They are recruited in the rural communities. They do not have a job. There's no schooling there. So they do not have options. Most of them have been part of the farming or maybe... Uh, uh, helping cows and cattle, so they do not have any option. And once, once they are released, they have nothing that they can do. So the only option they have is just to return back to this armed conflict. I can give you the example, uh, uh, like what is it? What is happening in the Middle East? There's nobody who's really good to child soldiers, but there's no future for these children. And the only option for them is to try to fight and uh, get in the future. Even if I had my own child, I still say, 
I won't say it's a to lessen God because there's no future for the country. There's only people who are who are dictators who are taking the country over. So we have to do something. That's right. why in the Middle East, children are getting involved. So I think we have to go. Nobody's recruiting them, but they can see from themselves that okay, there's no future if we let these people continue running the country with dictatorship. All right, John. John uh, Indurman from Congo. Uh, Eddie's in Fixburg. Hello, Eddie. Colony, you and your guests, I really do like them very much. They're very informative, and thank you for a very important program. Can I just say this, just mm-hmm. as an analysis? Have you ever driven a harvester? When you drive a harvester of 5 million rand, there's lights everywhere. And if you do not uh, which address those red lights, you've got a meltdown. And, friend, the red lights are flashing for this beautiful country of ours. You cannot give kids rights and not responsibilities. Kids have to be trained when they're young to be productive and to be studiers and to be leaders and to have grow up in homes of spirituality. If we do not do that, you're going to have the soldiers, kid soldiers in our own country. Let's not even watch up there. Watch what happens here when there's no water and when the revolution starts here. Let's not do it. What's happened up there? The agriculture system has totally collapsed in mm. Africa. Africa does not have a strong agriculture policy. You yeah. heard this previous caller. He's telling the truth. The kids don't have work. Yeah. How do you create work? Oh, give them cow herd. What about planting millies? What about pl- uh, p- picking uh, peaches or tomatoes? Friend, that is create work that the kids don't have to go to war. All right, Eddie's in Fixburg. Let me read this email. I'll take the news headlines at 8.30. But uh, uh, Faisal and Mayfair has written an email. This says, the fact that we have an African child soldiers in the first place indicates the immorality of African governance in general and the hypocrisy of claiming African care for their children, Ubuntu. During the height of the Second World War, I never heard of Western nations such as Germany and Japan employing child soldiers to defend their interests. What is even more sad is to see our African Union being toothless and unable to stop the scourge. Shame on Africa. Shame. Cry my beloved Africa cry. Regards Faisal from Mayfair. It is 8.30. We go back again to come and ready for the very latest news headline. The Forum at 8 with Kolani Gwala. A lot of SMSs have come through here about the issue of child soldiers across our continent and elsewhere, of course. Uh, but mostly concerning us is how we uh, in this continent deal with this issue. My guest on the program this morning, uh, Michael Copland, is a UNICEF regional expert on children and armed conflict. Uh, she, he's on the line for us from Nairobi, but also we're joined by Tirana Hassan, emergency researcher at the Human Rights Watch. Uh, she's based in Brussels there. 0891104208, what to do about this problem? Uh, 0891104208. It was raised in Parliament quite sharply. Minister of Defence responding to the uh, reports quoting uh, soldiers who were out in the Central African Republic who were talking about uh, ending up killing soldiers and saying this is not what we came here to do. Uh, this was sickening. Uh, this was difficult because we were fighting kids who were calling for their moms. What are your thoughts then? How do we deal with this issue as Africans? 0891104208. 0891104208. Let me tell you what people are saying on SMS. Somebody says uh, you talk of CAF. The free Syrian army are forcing young Syrian refugees from the camps in Lebanon to be uh, armed and go back to fight uh, the Syrian army. Uh, that is AB here in Gauteng. Another one comes from Ahmed who says, who are funding these groups from USA and Europe? Uh, this is Africa. Most children are accidental births and are dispensable, says an SMS note signed. Um, another one says, um, the soldiers you are quoting uh, is being silly. If they were children in the sense, 
comments he's putting it how come 13 of his comrades came back uh, in body bags of course questioning what the, so- the soldier had said there in that article in the Sunday Times Africa is the only continent where rebels and child soldiers unfortunately are needed without which we would still have Gaddafi, Bagbo, Kibaki in power that's pure in KZN another one says um, colonialism and the after effects thereof left this legacy of conflict behind on the continent most of the conflict is being supported by western powers um, there's also South Africa has its own history of child soldiers who were recruited in the front line of the struggle who are we to criticize the ANC used children as cannon fodder in the struggle and still calls them heroes says somebody uh, children are unable to visualize the consequences or outcomes of their actions so can appear more brave or ruthless the finality of death uh, is concept beyond them and food etc can be more important at that moment their recruiters should be wiped out starting with the rebel leaders that's Jan and KZN and 0891104208 your thoughts on this issue 0891104208 Michael uh, I mentioned that we spoke to uh, Mr. Bayer sometime last week part of what he was trying to do and I think working with yourselves is to really negotiate the release of these child soldiers how difficult is that? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, ju- ju- just firstly to, to, to answer a couple of the, the callers. Um, look, it is a reality. I think we mentioned earlier, in some instances, children are, are desperate. There's an environment where civilians are not being protected and they may want to go and join. The point here is that governments and states have responsibilities um, to make sure that children are not being used. It's illegal uh, under a whole body of international law. That's the first thing. The second, in terms of uh, the economic uh, uh, factors, uh, the callers are absolutely right. We know from the programs when we try to reintegrate children, it works when we have economic uh, livelihood training programs as well as psychosocial. Without those economic components, you know, the likelihood that children uh, may come back in or be re-recruited is, is quite high. In terms of negotiating, it really depends on the nature of the group, um, whether the group has political aspirations, if they do, it's clearly more likely that you know they have a vested interest in, in their international reputation. Um, they have an interest in not being uh, uh, prosecuted, etc. So we see those groups um, signing action plans. So these groups would sign action plans with the United Nations, and they would spell out. Um, you know, timeframes and measures that would have to be taken, including clearly the end of recruitment and, and release of children. Insecurity undermines uh, these negotiations. We see in the Central African Republic a number of groups had signed these action plans, were releasing children, and, and we're seeing that that uh, difficult to implement now with, uh, with, with, with insecurity. There are other groups um, who, who historically has been very, very difficult to, to negotiate with, for example, a group like the Lord's Resistance Army. The question in relation to the African Union, just to say... Uh, we have been working with uh, uh, contributing forces to these missions. For example, uh, militaries who are engaged in, who have been engaged uh, in the regional task force against the LRA. It's very important that when we train these militaries, we give them specific training about what to do um, when they come across uh, uh, women and children associated with these groups. For example. Um, uh, women and children who have, have been with the Lord's Resistance Army 
um, how they should be treated, who to contact, handing over of those children, what's appropriate in terms of interviewing or questioning children. And, and we see a real willingness, in fact, from the African Union to look at um, increasing their own uh, capacity to, to deal with this very difficult issue, um, to, to, to uh, look at their own policy and, and legislation. There's still a lot of work to be done there, and we would like to see, of course, the African Union playing a, uh, an even stronger role in terms of advocating with different governments on, on, on this issue. Um, there is a, a, a African Union charter on the rights and well-being of children, so they're well-placed um, to, to, to advocate on, on this issue. Sure. Uh, I'll come back to you in a minute, Tirana, for your thoughts on these issues, but let me take some calls here. Uh, David in the Free State, good morning. Yes, morning, Kalani. I David. just want to say, you know, the story of, like another person said, the story of child soldier, it go a long way, way back uh, the beginning of the revolution. There was already child soldier. People abducted my Myself, I was not a child soldier, but my father was killed before I was young, so I found myself running. You join the other party, or, or you, you stand the chance to be killed. That's not, 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 not actually a new thing. I don't know why people, they're going to stop it. And if kids, they don't go to school, actually, they will become child soldier. Those, uh, me, myself, I don't have a good school because of the conflict. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't, but, um, I think we all in Africa, not only the UN and everybody, we're supposed to take this measure and, uh, to stop uh, I hear you. David and yeah. Friste, thank you. Itumeleng is in Mahikeng. Hello, Itumeleng. Hi, Tolani, how's it? I'm very well, thanks for your call. Good, Tolani, look, uh, our forces came under fire and they did not know that these people who were shooting them were chiefs. Yeah. Now, they only realized there after that they were in a, you know, in a confrontation with, ch- with children. Yeah. And the normal processes should therefore take place, debriefing, you know, because obviously they will be traumatized. Now, now so, and these children don't choose to be in that unit or in those armed things. They get abducted to land. Yeah. Now, the input is that the United Nations and the AU must therefore then start putting bounties on the heads of these rebel leaders. And, 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 and we start looking for them and, and, and arrest them. But my problem, the biggest one is Golani. You have rebels like Seleka who had their head offices in France. Now, it becomes questionable how France could then house such armed bandits and operate from France when they know that they are committing this kind of, 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 of recruiting and attacking children into the, into the, into the military. It is wrong, Golani. Uh, now, I would like your guests to, to make an input in terms of how then would France react in terms of these allegations of that the same people that they are harboring and they are defending uh, 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 are recruiting kids and, right. and, 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 and put them in the forefront of what is there? Itumeleng, thank you. Thank you very much. That's Itumeleng. Uh, and I'm going to ask Tirana to respond to what Itumeleng is saying. But also, Tirana, here's, here's an SMS perhaps also, uh, which, simplify, which is too simplistic, I think, but to respond. Uh, it comes from Vusi, who says, if those kids' own parents don't care, why should we? And then we wonder why Africa is such a mess. Uh, your thoughts there, Tirana? Yeah, that's a, it's probably a little bit um, too, too general a statement. Um, I think from our experience from speaking to, you know, dozens and dozens of parents who have lost their children to forced recruitment or 
uh, whose children have left the fighting groups. So, you know, they're, it's devastating for a family. Um, but, you know, as we've been discussing and as Michael's raised, there are so many reasons um, uh, for to drive children into um, being part of an armed conflict. You know, we've talked about forced recruitment, but also there are poverty. There is the issue of poverty, um, and mm. parents can't feed their children and care for their children. And when children see the armed group um, as a way of meeting just you know basic needs on occasion, um, but you know, I think it's a, probably an unfair um, statement. Um, or an inaccurate statement to say that parents don't care. I've met very few parents who have who haven't grieved for the loss of their child, um, even if they don't know, even if they know their child's still alive, but with uh, an armed group. I think it's a, it, my experience has been that parents have found it devastating. Um, you know, in, in I, I actually couldn't hear very well your previous right. caller. But um, he's saying he's raising an issue, uh, perhaps, of of countries such as France. If if they are in some way are alleged to be involved, they should take some responsibility, should they not? Uh, where if if they support either party, and if that party happens to also end up recruiting child soldiers, those countries must be held to account. Anybody who recruits child soldiers needs to be held to account. I think, um, you know, it's very clear in the law, in the Convention of the Rights of the Child, um, and in places, in terms of an armed conflict, you have the Geneva Conventions. These are essentially the laws of war. Mm. And under the laws of war, it is illegal to recruit a child, um, under the age of 15 years old. And, you know, there's a growing body uh, of law now that says that it's actually illegal to recruit a child, um, under the age of 18. A child is, um, uh, anybody under the age of 18 in the use of the child. Um, and it's not just about children who have guns. Uh, it's important to note that it's, it's illegal to use a child as a cook, uh, as a spy, um, as a porter to carry the tents. You know, it's not just about children who are carrying guns and shooting. It's any use of children um, in an armed conflict. And indeed, that's illegal. And the people who are responsible for recruiting those children, using those children, and the leaders of these armed groups need to be held to account. Whether that's an irregular group, like a like a rebel group or an insurgent group, or whether it's a national army. Um, and in a way, if it is a, a national army, then you know, we know that the state is responsible, and therefore we know who needs to be held to account, and they need to be prosecuted. Right, let's go to Yaouz in Cape Town. Is it Yaouz? Hello. Hi, Colin. Yeah, hi. Hi. Uh, during the war, Polish-German war, there were strict rules that children under the age 15 would, would not be able to use as, as a soldier. And when they were used as a soldier, they were used at the back to, to, for the support, never in, in the front, uh, very seldom at the front. But, you know, in Africa, we have a different situation. Children is 9, 10 years old. They use as a, as a regular soldiers, and not only for that, because of the also used for the for the slave and the, the, the sexual pleasure for the other uh, other uh, soldiers as well. But if, for instance, take uh, Arab Springs. I'm shocked, you know. Where are these parents? They're using these children. They allow them to throw on the stone. They, they are exposed to to be killed. And when the parents are st- standing in their back, when the child is uh, is shot, you know, and, and is dead, is is is, is killed, they are crying. They are molesting. molesting Crazy, you know? All right, so that's the unusual in Cape Town. Zig is in Randburg. Hello, Zig. Uh, 
Thank you very much. Uh, I wanted to say that I see no difference between the child soldiers of Central Africa and the children in South African townships who are still being driven out of their classrooms by ANC Youth League and Corsa's bullies to march on the Constitutional Court, uh, to storm Lutuli House and to burn down schools in the Western Cape in order to destabilize Helen Zilla's government. These children end up as stunted individuals like Julius Malema who have no respect for any law and order and who end up cheating their own uh, populace by becoming Papa Docs and Idi Amin's. Thank you very much. That's Zig and Randberg. We'll take more calls 891 Let me read you some SMSs and emails here. Opa Tasanyano on email in Sebokeng says, The only quickest and effective remedy to all this cross-children rights abuses by warlords here in Africa is to have similar courts like the International Criminal Court here in Africa that will arrest and prosecute these warlords and the, um, those who are using these children for their own ends. Sponsored by the West. That's Opa Tasanyano. In uh, also, another email came through from Andile. It'll be interesting to know whether our liberation armies like Gazanla, Apla, and MK did use child soldiers and how. That's uh, a view from Andile uh, who would like to know uh, on email. Uh, another one came through from uh, Mkulego Kuna in the Free State. While in Africa they still allow rebel leaders to become state leaders after they used children to fight uh, the time government with children and get away with it. These rebels, they don't see any harm to the children but to continue using them. However, we need strong and firm laws and act against uh, countries and leaders who use children as soldiers. That's Mkulego Kuna uh, on email. Some SMSs for you uh, before we get our guest to comment on this. Uh, what about Hitler Youth? That's Charles in Cape Town. We stayed out of Zimbabwe and supported the dictator Mugabe because it's a sovereign country. Now we are spoiling for a fight in the Central African Republic. There's no logic, says an SMS. Uh, so Nematate in the ANC recruited our children to join MK after 1976, uh, the leader of the rebels in Central African Republic must be arrested by the ICC because he used children for his mission. SANDF killed children. Uh, that SMS is not signed there. Um, a lot of children are unable to be okay. We saw this one. Uh, all right, I'll take more of your calls. 0891 is, is there anything that you'd like to say, perhaps, in response to these SMSs and emails? I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think your callers are making a, a, a lot of good points in that, you know, there, there does need to be more account. Um, and, you know, I think one of your callers earlier was talking about, you know, who, who needs to be responsible. It's, it is, it's important that there's political will um, from, from the international community when there are reports of the use of children in armed conflicts. And there need to be resources which are allocated so that, you know, independent human rights observers can be on the ground, can investigate and can establish the truth. You know, they can establish the use of, the, of children, but also find out who it is that's recruiting. So you have somebody to hold to account. And then we need to be able to start processes where these people are the people who are identified as being responsible for the recruitment and use of children um, are actually investigated and then charged. And that's what we need to see more of. And this isn't something that can just take place because um, one person said so. This takes 
um, you know, it needs to have political will from the international community um, and also from the states where these conflicts are actually taking place. So it's very important that we, you know, keep this sort of momentum and keep pressure on decision makers and key states to be able to follow through um, and see that there are more investigations and more prosecutions. Mm. Uh, Michael, Tirana was talking about it is illegal to use children mm. to cook, spy, porter and so on. But right. one of the things that is happening, and I think UNICEF has spoken about this, is that 40% of these child soldiers are girl children, and most of them are used mm-hmm. for sex. Yeah, yeah. So, so what we're seeing, if you take an example, uh, for example, Somalia, we're seeing uh, uh, young girls being abducted, um, uh, for sexual purposes and indeed being held with, with armed groups as a means to keep uh, young boys in, 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 in the group. So this is, this is happening. If we look at um, historically the Lord's Resistance Army um, uh, continued to, to, to abduct uh, young girls and women um, who were forcibly married uh, in, in, into into the group. So this is uh, definitely um, happening. So as Tirana is saying, when we think about um, children associated with armed forces and groups, we need to think far more broadly than than uh, just those children who are who are active in combat. I want to point out though that there are there has been uh, significant uh, use of children outside of Africa. We think about places like Sri Lanka and the Philippines, for example. Um, there's been extensive use of uh, use of children um, in these places. Uh, the other point I wanted to make is that, of course, we're talking here about armed conflict, but some of the same factors and issues uh, are played out if we talk about armed violence um, and, and we think about um, children without education, children without uh, opportunities, children from... Um, uh, vulnerable and impoverished communities um, engaging in, in armed violence, which may not meet the international threshold of, of what we'd call an armed conflict, but the consequences can be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's important to, 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 to think about this also more broadly, that you know, there, are, there, are, there are other, other children, and we know um, in terms of uh, uh, different... Um, uh, settings where there's where there's gang-related uh, uh, violence and, and children being involved, the same kind of ingredients in many ways. Recruitment, very similar kinds of strategies, and as I said, the, the results are the same. Mm. Um, children children uh, being involved in violence and uh, the loss of life. Mm. And perhaps again, Tirana, if you may just comment for me on on the use of these girl children then for for sexual activities. Yeah, um, it's it's horrific, and we've documented, um, you know, cases in, in multiple countries um, where girls have been used. And there is, an, you know, there's a real vulnerability for for girls, young girls, adolescent girls, um, in in conflicts, and particularly also girls who are on their own. So if there are girls who are, you know, heads of female-headed households, for example, because their parents have been killed or even if they've been separated during conflict, these sorts of groups of girls are particularly vulnerable um, to to forced recruitment um, into armed groups for a variety of purposes. I mean, as as Michael was saying, as a Somalia example, um, there indeed have been girls who have been used for sexual um, sexual slavery, for lack of a better word, but also there have been girls who have been you know, forcibly married off 
So we documented cases as human rights watch in Somalia where families were basically, insurgents uh, came to families and said, you must give us your daughter to marry. And when families pushed back and said no, they would actually execute um, the father or another member of the family. You know, and this would strike terror in the, in the community. Um, and people were powerless to protect their daughters. And that was the story that we heard over and over again. Um, but it wasn't just for sexual slavery. You know, girls were also being taken uh, and used uh, as cooks, uh, as cleaners, um, and they're still vulnerable, and they're taken out um, through the front lines to care or work as nurses. Um, and it's not just in Africa, as Michael was saying, in Sierra um, in Sri Lanka, uh, which he mentioned also. You know, the use of girls as combatants um, was also common, and they would use strategies like you know, cutting girls' hair so that they were identified and therefore isolated from their communities. Um, because most girls had long hair, so these girls with short hair were isolated and they could be identified as being with the, um, with the armed group. Sure. And um, that keeps them paralysed. Sure. I'm wrapping up. We're coming towards the end of the program. But, Michael, I just want to perhaps wrap up on a positive note because even mm. though there are these difficulties... Uh, statistics mm. indicate, particularly from UNICEF, that since 1998, over 100,000 mm. child soldiers have been released from armed groups and reintegrated mm. into their communities. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. So we've, we've, we've seen a reduction globally. Um, I mean, we're talking about cases of concern like Central African Republic, but we, we have seen, um, I think, a global push toward uh, improved monitoring, as Strana is saying, accountability, and we're seeing numerous groups uh, sign on to these uh, action plans and release children. Um, on a very positive note, if you look at uh, um, historically uh, South Sudan, as I mentioned before, large numbers of, of children uh, being used. Uh, we're now seeing you know, a process where um, last year, for example, children who were trying to join um, uh, government forces were screened out through an effective process there. So, I mean, uh, the work is paying off. Um, I suppose the point is that we really need to stay focused and and committed um, and, and really attack this on a number of levels at mm. that accountability level, um, uh, also in, in terms of doing the, the right reintegration, but also, as I said, when we're sending soldiers into these environments, making sure that they themselves are able to, as best they can, to protect women and children mm. and uh, deal properly with uh, women and children associated with these groups. Uh, Tirana, do you, do you want to say something on, on, on progress made so far as we wrap up? No, I think that, um, you know, indeed there has been some positive steps, um, but unfortunately we continue to see the use of children. Um, you know, in, in places like Mali, um, we've seen large numbers of children being used by the various um, insurgent groups in the north. Um, and there, you know, I think it just means that we need to keep up the pressure. Um, indeed, there have been some very positive steps by the international community and by UNICEF in terms of monitoring uh, and reporting the use um, of children in armed conflicts and violations against children. But, you know, I think it, it would be too soon to let up the pressure. We, we definitely need to keep the pressure on. It's evolving too. There are, you know, 
insurgent groups, etc., which are harder to engage with, and therefore it's harder to get um, a dialogue to get children released. So we need to start, um, or we need to continue, I should say, um, our efforts uh, as you know, as an international community, as yeah. NGOs, as, as the UN, to ensure that you know children are released from the groups where they are currently, but also it's about prevention. Children should never be in this position in the first place. Indeed. Well, let me wrap it up at the, on that point. I really thank you both for your time this morning. Michael Copland, UNICEF Regional Expert on Children and Armed Conflict, joining us on the line from Nairobi. Also would like to thank Tirana Hassan, Emergency Researcher at the Human Rights Watch, based in Brussels. Thank you both for your time. would like to thank you then for listening to the program this day thank you for the sms's uh, and uh, thanks as well for the calls and emails we'd like to thank the team as well they put it all together for us this day our producers misha shantale tracy boomgaard ronald piri thank you Mabaso, senior producer lungile Mabaso, technical producer lebo munana former uh, producer jake mokoma and uh, senior producers of course i beg your pardon the chief producer Buzi Lukoto, executive producers busi chan and obrosi chia i shall be back for you tomorrow it is now nine o'clock cheers Thank you.